Welcome back to Pulp Friction. It's a show about what divides us. My name is Rocky, M's name is M, and this week we are talking about Elvis, the movie. Yeah, great to be here. Uh, It's great to talk about the king, the movie. The king, the movie. The king of movies. (laughs) 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 This is uh, part two. Of a of a two part episode only because I didn't realize how close episode fifty was and I mm. had to work backwards to make this not episode fifty. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm glad. Okay, here's a thought. Okay, I think that Elvis the movie is the king of movies of 2022 because it is the most likely movie I've seen so far to get gout. Just rich. <laughs> That's- <laughs> yeah i kind of swollen um, so last week we talked about uh me and nico talked about elvis the guy uh and sort of touched on his story a little bit through the lens of what's talked about in the movie so now i have all the all the history on that and um also some history on the movie itself that we can get into before we get into the thing itself, uh, tell me a little bit about your history with Elvis. I don't know him personally. Sure. That's about it. No, I feel like uh, I, as a child, was really into popular culture and that hasn't stopped. But uh, as part of like trying to learn everything, uh, I've listened to a good amount of Elvis. I've seen maybe 1.5 Elvis movies, uh, mm-hmm. you know, definitely an intriguing persona. And uh, I think about the gold lame suit a lot. That's, that's most of my sure. relationship to Elvis. Sure. Yeah. Uh, that, that's, uh, that, that's about where I'm at. I don't think I ever had a phase where I was like, I got to check out all this Elvis shit, but uh, with time I've come to know quite a bit about him, especially after doing research for last week and also seeing the movie. Uh, so, yeah, (laughs) let's get into our history, and then we'll get into the movie itself. So, in April 2014, The Rap first reported that Baz Luhrmann was circling an Elvis biopic, uh, being produced by Warner Brothers. Uh, the script was being written by Kelly Marcel, who at the time was known for Terra Nova and Saving Mr. Banks. She would go on to write Fifty Shades of Grey, work on Cruella, and co-write the Venom movies with her good friend Tom Hardy. Lerman had uh was thinking about doing an Elvis movie for like a decade before this point and he was just you know as he was going from project to project he had this on the back burner like I'll do Elvis eventually um he talked about wanting to use Elvis as like a, a way to talk about America in that time period um the, the quote is just, I've been talking about using Elvis as a way of exploring America, and Warner Brothers bought the rights in, like, around 2014, sort of to entice Baz Luhrmann to, <laughs> to, to make it happen. At the time, he was also attached to a legendary adaptation of the 70s TV show Kung Fu, and he was also attached to HBO's Napoleon miniseries, which was based on Stanley Kubrick's screenplay that he never was able to make. As an aside, the latest on both those projects, there's the Kung Fu movie is being held by David Leach and Napoleon by Kerry Fukunaga. Um, oh. Yeah. <laughs> what a crossroads. 
Yeah, it's <laughs> a two rows diversion of wood for sure. Uh, eight months later, Baz Luhrmann turns his attention to the Get Down, which is another project that he'd been thinking about for like 10 years. And uh, that project pretty much kept him occupied like into 2017. And uh, in, in early 2018, after the Get Down was canceled, he gives an interview with The Guardian, his first interview since then, since the Get Down getting canceled, that is. And he says that the next two projects he's considering are still Kung Fu and Elvis. So at that time, uh, not much has changed. He just kind of, the, the like Wikipedia synopsis of what happened is like in 2014, they announced it and then there's no news until 2019. But it's actually like, when you dig in, it's like, oh, he was working on the get down this entire time. Yeah, I feel like it's hard to know what directors are actually working on, what their days might look like based on reading the history of the projects um, they're involved in. Yeah, and, you know, Baz is one of these guys who's always being courted for this and that. So he's, you know, got a lot of shit he's considering. But the get down was, did you watch the get down? I did not. It is very good and insane. It famously was the most expensive Netflix series at the time. Uh, that's now been. Uh, <laughs> I, th- I think The Crown is actually like the on a per episode basis the most expensive, but obviously the most recent Stranger Things season is like <laughs> like drove them into bankruptcy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I feel no regret for them. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> looking forward to it. In August of 2018, it was the rumor that that the Elvis movie is officially a go. That's what's being said. And Boss Lerman says that he like was sort of going through a bunch of writers at this point, just kind of like putting them through the ringer, filling out, figuring out the angles on the story. The next we hear, Kelly Marcel is out, and Craig Pierce, his regular collaborator, and Sam Brommel are in. And then in March of 2019, it's announced that Tom Hanks has been courted for the role of Colonel Tom Parker, which signifies that the movie is finally making progress. And it's also reported at that time that before Tom Hanks, he talked to Leonardo DiCaprio about doing it. I think that works. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to imagine it. I could see many worse options. Yeah, <laughs> for, for, for the girdle. Um, one could argue maybe we did see one. But... Yeah, I'm really curious about... So what do you know about Tom Hanks's approach to this role? Is If that's the right question. I, I don't know how to get at his performance. He, like like, from early on... He was talking about how he saw this character as a villain, and he, you know, like like an early thing he said is that he's playing the villain in the Elvis movie, and then later he gives an interview where he's like, you know, once I actually talked to Priscilla about the guy, I was like, oh, this is <laughs> not that simple. Mm. Um, they sort of talked about like some of the some of the Shakespearean kind of villains that they're bringing into the role, like uh, uh, Falstaff and and that sort of thing. He compares him to Pontius Pilate at one point it's you know uh he, he was thinking about some of these so, sort of like classical traitors and villains um and I think the accent is <laughs> something that like people who were around at the time comment on is that the colonel kind of had an accent but it wasn't like that at all <laughs> 
Right. I was also curious about the amount of time that uh, no one questions his story of being born in the U.S. and being in the U.S. Army uh, when Tom Hanks is laying it down so strong. And as someone who grew up outside of the U.S., uh, and when people ask where I'm from, I tell them I'm from Russia. And then they always comment on the fact that I don't have a Russian accent. I just like unrealistic that Americans would not nitpick at that. Yeah, <laughs> it's true that it didn't come out until well after Elvis's death that the, like, like the actual story of, of the colonel being Dutch. I think it was probably a Tommy Wiseau situation where it was just like, no one really knows what's up with that guy. (laughs) But um, he was in the army and he, uh, he, he, he got named a colonel later, but he was in the army and they knew that he wasn't a citizen and they were like, it's fine, but you got to get your, your citizenship eventually. Mm -hmm. And then he just didn't. (laughs) That's cool. That's a a border defying, um, maybe an anarchist move. (laughs) Yeah, a little bit. (laughs) In uh, July of 2019, it's reported that the role of Elvis has been narrowed down to five young actors. We can just go through them here. Ansel Elgort. Not a not a great one. Let's just go through them all and then we can talk about them. Ansel Elgort, Miles Teller, Austin Butler, Aaron Taylor Johnson, and Harry Styles. Very interesting. I feel like I would kind of want to see the Miles Teller Elvis. A little bit. I like I feel like the Miles Teller Elvis movie would have to be a different like Miles Teller doesn't fit into a Bos Lerman world at all, I think. Right. But, but I think Miles Teller Elvis is an interesting film and I don't know if he could convey like the the manner of Elvis because I Mm -hmm. I see the like you know if you put two pictures of them side by side you could see it but I feel like in demeanor I don't know if he's got it yeah I okay so here's a question can Harry Styles act everyone says he can I mean he was gonna (laughs) Uh, he was going to be in the uh, the Robert Eggers um, Nosferatu movie, I think. And, mm-hmm. and Robert Eggers was like, yeah, I mean, he can act. <laughs> so, like, it's something that people have to keep saying because every time, like, he's almost in something, people are like, but can he act, actually? And they're like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess by the end of this year, we will have seen Harry Styles in an actual movie <laughs> and we'll, we'll know the truth uh in that regard but i can't wait for the verdict yeah yeah we gotta know um also someone who i mean he's got the swagger but could he embody elvis exactly i don't know (laughs) uh i can't wait for twink elvis (laughs) i think they should remake it (laughs) gotta do it all over again they there could be you know (laughs) <laughs> they could just throw a bunch of different Elvises at us now. Because it was, a, you know, you think about the Elvis movies that have gotten made. There was the, the John Carpenter one with, with Kurt Russell. And then there's like the, you know, there have been a bunch of Elvis movies over time. And this is just 
the one where they decided it's a big deal. But um, and the funny thing about the John Carpenter one is that El- in Elvis's last movie, his character's name was John Carpenter. Oh my goodness, that is very <laughs> that's a fantastic coincidence. Or yeah, uh, I would love to see an Elvis multiverse movie since mm-hmm. that's the cinematic trend right now. Yeah, that's gotta be <laughs> multiverse of Elvis. We just need all the Elvises in here. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, can bring back. Uh, uh, Bruce Campbell from Bubba Hotep and just get the whole the whole Elvis family in there. Uh, it was also reported that Adam Lambert and G Easy were both uh, very aggressively pushing to be considered. G Easy especially was like like really really wanted to be Elvis. <laughs> I really want that for G Easy. <laughs> A little bit. You gotta admire the like. <laughs> that he you know committed to to it you know like he was really angling for it that's fantastic well what did you think of austin butler in the role i think he was great (laughs) yeah i really liked him yeah he just um i like he has a very distinct face that isn't really an elvis face but i think that it, it works kind of perfectly because like he stands out no matter who he's in a room with. And, you know, I think he uh, had the, the, he was on top of the vocals. He was on top of like the movement and um, the voice. I think he, he did some really interesting stuff with. It doesn't feel like a caricature the way that a lot of uh, musician biopic roles tend to. It feels, you know, very well realized. Yeah. I, I thought his, what did you think of because there he's also doing some vocal performance uh mm-hmm. i felt like the elvis drawl was pretty realistic um yeah he feels pretty lived in as elvis yeah and i definitely think the vocal performances again like um there's the moment right at the end where they they where, where they like play the actual clip of of elvis and you know one of his last performances and and I, again like when you put the vocals side by side it's like there's a difference here but i think he really like has this very rich very 50s kind of vocal thing and elvis was such this powerhouse vocal performer obviously so i think he really nailed that a lot of, similarly to adam lambert and Jeezy pushing for the elvis role lana del rey made a very aggressive push to play priscilla I'm so mad that didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> it would have been it would have been insane. It would have been extremely Buzzlerman uh for that to happen. I guess she is probably too old hmm. for to play the younger Priscilla. Uh, <laughs> but that would be that's the camp of it. She's it obviously it. a thirty year old woman. <laughs> right. <laughs> aggressively 30 something uh priscilla herself said that she quote likes lana del rey but wouldn't comment on if she was fit for the role or not i thought that olivia de young felt kind of flat as uh as as priscilla not that that was a particularly interestingly written role but i was like i'm not really compelled by the relationship and yeah, not to blame that fully on the the actor but 
I think she I, I think she does do some good stuff in it. I like the contrast between her when she's younger and her as you know, when they're getting divorced. I, I, I guess it you could see it as the the lack of hmm. I, I, I don't think the it was intentional to have like a lack of chemistry per se, but I think it works uh in sort of an advantageous way later on. Cause I mean the way this movie portrays Elvis, you can't really have him connect to someone <laughs> yes. you know it is about the alienation of fame yeah and i think especially with the like the fact that we sort of have one big scene of her in germany and then sort of snippets of her for a while and then the scene where they're like you know about to get divorced like like, like she basically there's not much of her in the actual throes of the relationship um you know it makes sense to sort of I, I think it works initially because she is a very different character from anyone else in the film up to that point. And then, like, we don't see her for a while and then they're breaking up. And it's like, oh, this is kind of different. But I, I would agree that, like, she does, you know, it's not an elevated character in the story. According to Boz, uh, he had been doing this whole workshop process with the likes of Harry Styles and Miles Teller. And then he got a taped audition from uh, Austin Butler, who is doing a, a tearful rendition of Unchained Melody, and what he said was that he was mm. thinking about his his own mother who died at the same age that Elvis's mother died. And yeah, the, he was just sort of blown away by, by that audition tape. That sounds really moving. <laughs> uh, after the news breaks that like those five people are being considered, Baz Luhrmann gets a call out of the blue from Denzel Washington, who worked with Austin Butler on the Iceman Cometh in 2018. And he says, this guy's great. Uh, you know vouches for like his work ethic and within two weeks Baz Luhrmann confirms that Austin Butler has the role so uh in August they date it for October 1st 2021 in October they announce Olivia de Young as uh uh Priscilla it's reported around this time that this is just something that will come up as we discuss the movie it's reported around this time that Lisa Marie Presley has some uh concerns about the story that the movie is telling she's <laughs> she's worried that the approach to elvis's relationships with teenagers will you know turn the public against him and i think that, that that's something we'll we can come to later but obviously that doesn't really come out in the in the end product film and i think it's something that uh speaks to the sort of interference of 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 the uh of elvis's estate and family that might have uh kept some things out of the movie that is interesting to consider february of 2020 more casting news comes out yola is cast as sister is at a tharp elvis's parents are cast with maggie gyllenhaal and rufus sewell principal photography begins on january 28th 2020 and on March 12th, production halts when Tom Hanks tests positive for COVID. Oh, it's so funny to situate it in that moment of Chet <laughs> Hanks in the public eye. <laughs> uh, that's a really fantastic transformation of Rufus Sewell. Well. <laughs> as, as, oh, it's not. I see. I see what happened. Yeah, I was like, see. that's absolutely not him. <laughs> Because yep, it's not it, him. it sure isn't. Because <laughs> they shut down production for six months. 
could, <laughs> yes, okay. And by the time they're over, Maggie Gyllenhaal and Rufus Sewell kind of can't get back to Australia, and they <laughs> they have other things they're working on. So they replace them with two Australian actors, Richard Roxburgh and uh, Helen Thompson. They did great. They did really good. I really <laughs> thought they were Maggie Gyllenhaal and Richard Sewell as parents of Elvis. <laughs> they sold that for sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the the mom is sort of a you know, again very walk hard as we as we're talking about later on after the movie. Very like you know, can't be overblown Southern mom. There's a. Uh, <laughs> they have kind of a bizarre relationship Elvis and his mother in this movie um, the dad doesn't get as much he does have a few fun scenes uh, you know just occasionally because he's the business manager and at the end uh, <laughs> there's the great line where Elvis says you're supposed to be taking care of business <laughs> that is really good yeah what do you think of the of the parents in this movie <laughs> I feel like partially it, it does feel like kind of a mismatch because the mom is so high drama music biopic parent and the dad is a little unclear, which I think is also the character. They looked like parents. They acted like parents. True. I don't have anything very profound to, to say about them. There you go. The movie's release was pushed back to November 5th, 2021, and then to June 3rd, 2022. Shooting wrapped in March of 2021. Austin Butler was uh, hospitalized with a virus that simulated appendicitis around the same time. Uh, And he's fine now, uh, which is great. Uh, Baz Luhrmann shared the first clip from the movie on Twitter in November of 2021, announcing the new release date of June 24th. Test screenings were reported in October. Uh, Baz Luhrmann says he has a four-hour cut, which includes scenes of Elvis's first girlfriend, Elvis's meeting with Richard Nixon, the final years of his career. That cut has never been screened. And it also includes, like, 20 other Elvis reacts to assassination scenes. Yeah, they're <laughs> they just sort of read the whole, the whole gamut of uh, famous deaths. Uh, <laughs> I had forgotten, you know, I'd, like... We were talking about that when we got out of the movie, and it was only, like, today, as I was, you know, putting the finishing touches on his notes, that I remembered that there's also the reaction to uh, Sharon Tate. <laughs> yes! Yes, because we had talked about Bobby Kennedy and, yeah, and uh, MLK, of course. But yeah, MLK, yeah. There's the Sharon the Tate. Sharon Tate. <laughs> Rule of threes. That's comedy, baby. Yeah, I think there's probably, like, a fourth one also. <laughs> An Easter egg. Yeah. Hey, folks, I'm recording this a few days after we recorded the rest of the episode, uh, but I went and saw Elvis again, and I realized that there is actually a fourth death reaction. Elvis also reacts to the death of Mahalia Jackson. So, yeah, there's four in the movie. <laughs> so that takes us into the film. I guess we didn't... There's probably more to be said about the Tom Hanks performance. We didn't really get a a bunch of a back and forth on that. I do think it never takes away from the movie, in my opinion. It's such a centerpiece of the movie, and it does definitely change 
the overall thing of the movie, but I think it, it's very ingrained. <laughs> it's part of it. The first, uh, like, five minutes of this movie, I... <laughs> I, I, I remember leaning over to you at one point and going, is this the best movie of all time? <laughs> it was just incredibly exciting. The opening credits are so beautiful. Uh, so great. And then the first few minutes are just unbelievable, unreal. And I don't mean that in a value judgment way. It's, it's just unreal. It's unreal. I mean, so exciting. Our fir- the first, like, we open, as I recall, on, like, the Colonel's uh, home with all the all the Christmas shit all over the place. And he's, like, dead on the floor. Uh, or, or, or on the floor, he gets rushed to the hospital. Um, it, it, it's such an insane thing, first of all, to just start in 1997 when the Colonel is about to die. <laughs> and have him <laughs> take you back. Yeah. And it's like, oh, it's a movie about this guy, the Colonel? Not really. Not really, yeah. I mean, he's certainly very there, but like, you know, he, he's, he's, it, it's not about him as much as that implies. And there's, it's a really funny moment where it's like, scanning over and it stops on like a picture of elvis and he's, and he's like you're probably wondering who this man is and then hands over to the colonel and he's like colonel tom parker um, and this thing we sort of come back to a couple times in the movie of him like like with the iv drip sort of scurrying around the casino <laughs> yeah it's really it's pretty grotesque as an opening <laughs> it's pretty insane and he introduces this concept in that in this moment that he comes back to <laughs> many times in the movie <coughs> of the showman and the snowman. I just love that. Sincerely, really the number of times that he said snowman throughout the movie, <laughs> like every time it, it brought me more joy. And at the end, the last time he said snowman, I was just ready to jump out of my seat. <laughs> it's really, it's, and it's something that like looking at reviews and shit, I feel like it's something that people aren't talking about <laughs> that much. Like it's something that is, you know, you can sort of, it's this whole whirlwind of a thing, but it's also, it's repeated so often and so forcefully. Like, it's not just that it's, that, like, there are a lot of scenes that come back to it. It's every time it's so emphasized by the colonel in voiceover in this scene. You're the showman, I'm the snowman. There's the show business and there's the snow business. <laughs> I really love snow business. What, like, like, uh, like skiing? Like, uh... <laughs> snowshoeing <laughs> what's what's more snow business i don't really remember exactly the sequence of events from here i i think it's pretty quickly that we're introduced to the colonel at the carnival um with uh with with uh hank snow and cody smith mcphee and all these carnies <laughs> just sort of there's things sort of pile on top of each other <laughs> in this movie yes. in a lot of ways um and they you know they're listening to music and one of them puts on this elvis song 
and uh, the, the, then he's like, yeah, I've heard, I've heard a lot of uh, you know black guys who can who can sing like this. And he's like, that's the thing. He's white, <laughs> and we get like <laughs> an extended shot of Tom Hanks saying, "He's white." <laughs> Cody Smith McPhee in this movie. We were both so happy to see him. Yeah, I almost wish they did a little historical revisionism and put had him just through it, just like Elvis had a best buddy, and his name was Cody Smith McPhee's character. His name was uh, he was his he was Jimmy Snow. He was Hank Snow's younger brother. Oh, do you think Jim the whole Snow thing also goes into the Snow business? Probably. I mean, I mean, it's true. Both of the things are true that uh, the colonel managed Hank Snow and talked about snow business and, uh, you know, was very insistent about the, the Christmas special. I mean, the, the Christmas special scene is a, is a, is a whole other to do. Um, but those things did come together in real life. And I think there was probably an intentional idea because Hank Snow... It's true that Elvis's first tour was opening for Hank Snow, but like the the inclusion of Hank Snow here, so like uh, you know, front and center, was was probably just for the Snow uh, element. Meet Elvis, and we sort of flash back to his childhood, uh, where he lived in a mostly black neighborhood when he was a kid, and there's the scene of him reading the the Captain Marvel comics. And the Rock of Eternity, <laughs> where <laughs> he always wanted to go. Uh, that's another thing that comes up a couple times throughout the movie, and it's just <laughs> just, just so fun to see. Um, but uh, he hears off in the distance uh, Arthur Crudup playing uh, "That's All Right, Mama" uh, in like a little shack by this like gas station that they're at and then <laughs> as he's listening to that off in the further distance is this pentecostal tent <laughs> where where you know they're they're singing and 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 he sort of uh, joins in on that as well so it's this very strange <laughs> construction to show his the the true influences that you know growing up around a lot of black music mostly that he heard on the radio and not like in a <laughs> in a convenient shack <laughs> but the confluence of that and his church going experience and how those sort of informed uh, uh his music yeah i read a, a an article after seeing the movie uh out of curiosity just about uh elvis's relationship with black musicians and uh they they interviewed someone from the Black Baptist Church that uh, Elvis went to as a teen who said that was a really, like, that was a strange white boy. Like, the movie really shows him being so embraced. Um, and also the didactic, obviously, it's like a, a sense memory thing of, like, on one side there is the shack and on the other side there is the, um, the revival tent. Yeah, that's the first truly irksome moment of the movie for me. The it definitely on a on a cursory reading feels like the 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 primary message. It, it feels like it's trying to like 
angle this story towards Elvis, you know, was the 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 black musicians loved him and he just was, you know, making the stuff he loved and and all these other people got in the way and turned it into a business venture. Um which which the the truth is a lot more complicated and I don't think hmm I mean we could talk about the extent to which Lerman's intention was for that to be taken at face value but there there are a number there are some things that are true and there are some things that are uh deliberately angled away from (laughs) that add a lot more to this story it really just sort of like ignores because the whole you know what people saw in elvis in the media at the time was he's taking black music and white music and bringing them together he's taking like you know country influences uh and and r&b influences and and you know forming them in a way that a lot of people had before uh but that had not been exposed to these white audiences before and and the movie is just sort of like leaning all the way into the to the uh you know the influence he got from other rock and roll artists and also kind of being like and it's (laughs) and it's totally cool you know yeah and i think it is interesting that the first elvis performance we see is him on the louisiana hayride which is a really big uh country music radio show it's like in the era before the grand Ole opry became the biggest country music performing stage in the country right well they were they were competitors and actually elvis at about this time did perform at the Grand Ole Opry and it was a disaster. And he was like, okay, I'm going to go to the Louisiana Hayride. (laughs) He just stayed there for a while. Interesting. I didn't realize that part of the Elvis country music history. Yeah. I mean, his first hit was a country hit. Uh, His his first like billboard hit, he had a number one country song from his time at Sun Records. And Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I the it's looking at the parts of the story that are about like his uh friendships with black musicians it's done in a very strange kind of way cuz there's truth to a lot of them and that he did frequent these uh clubs, he did watch a lot of black artists and violate some of the segregation rules uh, uh about that the he the bb king stuff where they like have this camaraderie and like know each other and bb king like sees him across the way and he's like hey elvis <laughs> is definitely a reach yeah i'm curious about because they were friends but the era of that and like how that was influenced right. by the their mutual experiences with fame i don't know what bb king has said is that when they you know when elvis got big they were friendly and he all all we know for sure is that they met when elvis was a teenager once in a recording session at sun records like (laughs) like the idea that they were already friends when elvis was a teenager is completely not true right uh, and there are the other people too, you know, him hanging out with like little Richard is insane. <laughs> Absolutely. And little Richard is one of the people who like has spoken 
critically about Elvis. And um, I think there's the one moment where uh, Elvis is like, I'd love to cover that song. Mm-hmm. And B.B. King says to him that you would make a lot more money than this performer, Little Richard, uh, if you recorded the song, which is like almost there critically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then yeah. it's just dropped. <laughs> then they're like, well, let's all dance. Yeah. And the, the, there are analogous situations in the story of Elvis or one of the things we talked about last week is like the head of the Sun Records was like, if I can find a white performer who can make black music and and do it well i can make a billion dollars that's what that's what the guy said so there that idea definitely exists in this area at this time um and and obviously there's a white guy saying this so it's a different situation completely but uh in, in a similar way where it's just sort of like acknowledged as a as a reality there there's the great scene of him you know blowing everyone away at the louisiana hayride and you know girls are leaping out of their seats and <laughs> elvis's mom is like don't hurt my baby as they're you know pulling his suit jacket off uh <laughs> and all that that's a scene that um made the rounds on twitter i think it does uh it's very funny in the movie but i think it you know feels a little more organic right in the sort of uh heightened tone of the movie seeing it out of context it's like oh that's a completely insane scene but when you see it in a movie that is so over the top that's like oh yeah this scene's a little weird because there's this dubstep element why while he gyrates but like that's kind of it (laughs) So, so Elvis is, is opening for Hank Snow, and as the shows go on, the audience is getting bigger, and they're, you know, moving him up the marquee, and eventually they're just pasting his name over Hank Snow. That's not really true. There are very similar stories that were true with the Beatles, but I think on the on the Hank Snow tour, it was just like people, you know, more and more fans were coming out, but they didn't change the billing or anything. Uh, and it's true that the Colonel drops Hank Snow and all his other clients to make, uh, to, to just be Elvis's, like, uh, special counsel, basically. The idea of that <laughs> taking place on a Ferris wheel <laughs> is obviously <laughs> not true. <laughs> um, I actually read, like, you know, this interview with this historian where they asked him specifically, did that offer really happen on a Ferris wheel? And that he's like, of course not. <laughs> so the Colonel sort of, um, one of the things about like the you know just the build-up of things in this movie where it's like the colonel you know takes him in and they sign the contract and then he's like blowing up the charts and performing all over and uh goes on tv and then goes on uh uh uh, ed sullivan and does the like hound dog performance like that really did all happen in like a couple weeks basically like it's it's true that like the speed from one thing to the next is insane like he 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 has this three show deal uh with ed sullivan and two days after the third show he gets drafted (laughs) so like shit really happens all at once yeah that was uh, an incredible um part of the movie and also one where i was like there's a lot of um, unclear aspects to who wanted what for me. Um, I think in terms of the colonel 
what he's saying to Elvis, what he's saying to government officials while he's being blackmailed, what the range of results is. Yeah, it is a it's a real uh, whirlwind sequence and all that stuff with the colonel being blackmailed is like not directly true and is it, it's kind of heightened in the sense that like obviously the government knew that he like wasn't a citizen um but he it, the, there was this story i read that the colonel like started this kind of jokey club where like it was free to join but you had to pay ten thousand dollars to leave <laughs> and lyndon johnson was a member of that club sure <laughs> <laughs> so there were certain there are certain government connects there and as you do get into the draft story um there is an element where you know there, there there's a question of like how orchestrated was that and how much behind mm-hmm. the scenes you know chatter was going on um you know when he goes off i'm you know we're bouncing around a little bit but when he does go off to the military we get the priscilla introduction and uh it something that i think i don't know i don't know how they could have possibly done this without you know jarring the whole thing but the the fact that they introduce priscilla meeting elvis while they're in the military and then it's only like near the end of the movie priscilla is like i'm 30 and you're 40 and you're like well wait a second (laughs) right Because it's it's true that uh, as we talked about in the last episode, Elvis was twenty four and Priscilla was fourteen when they met, um, and they uh, got married seven years later. It's a big part of the story, and it's something where I do think family interference probably inhibited Muslerman <laughs> from like mm-hmm. addressing that directly. He talks about how in the four hour cut, there's there's the there are scenes with Elvis's first girlfriend who she was 15 when he was 19 um so (laughs) i i i do think there's a tension there where there were things that lerman probably wanted to try to work in that uh he was not able to because of the relationship with the estate um but yeah jarring omission for sure (laughs) yeah thinking about right especially with uh what you were mentioning with uh lisa marie's concerns it makes sense that the movie turned out the way it did yeah i mean when he when he comes back from the military it gets into the sequence and you know the 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 sequence of events in this movie is pretty true to life it gets into this period where he's releasing three movies every year Mm -hmm. and he's just on this train throughout the entire 60s basically of movie 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 soundtrack for each of those movies and you know just just sort of just sort of on that assembly line uh, for 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 the whole time uh, elvis's mom dies while he's in the in the military and we get the scene of um elvis you know crying in the closet and the colonel sort of comforting him that feels like i i mean the colonel is definitely the villain and a very cartoony villain in this movie but like that feels like one of the scenes that came about as they were talking to people who knew the colonel and biographers of the colonel and being like, okay, there is a little more to this guy than than the initial script probably had. The death of Martin Luther King. 
<laughs> is explored. There's this crazy rapid sequence after all the you know this movie studio stuff is going on, where it's playing, it you know these remixes of Elvis songs with like Toxic, and you know these these other beats being brought in there, and then it's like it it segues immediately into Martin Luther King is dead, and we're all going to uh, watch the funeral together during lunch, which actually did happen. Uh, <laughs> and uh, something something wild about that though is that he like points out Mahalia Jackson performing at the funeral and he's <laughs> like I want to be you know do, doing music that I care about I want to be performing like that yeah yeah that's uh the whole reaction sequence is really bizarre uh yeah <laughs> It, it just, like, it's true that Elvis liked Martin Luther King and watched the funeral and was upset when he died. And it came at a point in his career where he was, like, thinking of doing something different. But the sequence of the movie up to that point, <laughs> like, nothing has prepared us <laughs> for, for Dr. King's assassination to be a plot point, you know? Yeah, and it does feel gratuitous that it's a plot point. And... Yeah. That sort of segues into the, the Christmas special kind of sequence because he's, you know, wanting to do different things. The colonel gets into this deal. That's to do this Christmas special for NBC. And we see this sort of, I mean, another part of that sequence is like we're introduced to all of Elvis's like posse, like all of his friends, and they all get like full name you know it on screen <laughs> like text on screen introductions as if we're supposed to know who any of them are <laughs> oh shit that's elvis's second cousin <laughs> <laughs> and then we get into the christmas special sequence which is a, a real <laughs> a real fun uh part of this movie a very <laughs> a very enjoyable sequence of events it's incredible. It's really uh, the performance itself is pretty cool. Uh, mm -hmm. It's it's exciting to see Elvis changing things up. The Colonel running around and saying he will sing. Here comes Santa Claus uh, <laughs> repeatedly. It's so many times. I I think I counted at least seven. <laughs> Times probably that he said that probably. Elvis would sink here comes Santa Claus. And and there's also truth to the to the idea that he put that song in the special A against the Colonel's wishes and B because uh Bobby Kennedy died. Uh, um but the way that it's set up in the movie where like in the middle of filming as he's having this falling out with the colonel, he sees that Bobby Kennedy died, and he's like, "Well, I gotta do it." And he writes a song on this, or it, it. They're sort of like, "Here is the song that Elvis has birthed into the world right. that we will now record." Right, and we set up this neon sign while you weren't looking, <laughs> just behind the whole Christmas. <laughs> And then, yeah, that song obviously was a hit is, you know, we, we get the whole, you know, people love Elvis again. And the sequence where he is being, I mean, he starts to get into amphetamines in the, in the military in real life. But, you know, he's, he's, he's being often 
drugged. He is uh, uh, hospitalized at times. He is, um, you know, things are kind of a whirlwind for him. But he is also with, you know, having this tension between like the the Steve Bender and these new people, and then the Colonel. They want him to tour internationally, and the Colonel doesn't have a passport and is and is talking about security concerns. Um, and we build up to him uh, performing in Vegas. Uh, which I, I think is, you know, the, there are a couple Vegas sequences, but I feel like they are very well done and definitely capture, like, the, you know, the, the, necess- the like, like, like how big it felt to, 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 to see Elvis in Vegas on that stage. The audience, you know, huge audience is, like, very faithfully applied um and all the stuff with like he gets all the gospel singers and the band and the orchestra and the jumpsuits you know all the all that stuff is very fun i also think it's really funny the sequence of the colonel uh talking to the um the the hilton guy while elvis is performing and them setting up this deal and he's just writing down on on pieces of paper and handing it over to the colonel like first it's like five million for five years and then, then it's like okay and what do i get and he's like and he's like unlimited line of credit and heads it up like like the whole build-up of that sequence is really fun the um i mean we've you know sort of jumped over a lot of things the sharon tate stuff happens uh uh while he's hospitalized and is sort of connected to him like having a gun and and you know getting you know these security issues and all that in reality there's really no record of 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 elvis you know have having any connection to to sharon tate or her or, or her death but uh, obviously would have heard about it yeah, right. <laughs> yeah there's sort of the the landing from here well actually you know take the plane takes mm-hmm. off at the end but like the you know the this divorce the breakup with priscilla the um the stuff about him wanting to be in a star is born uh and the um the, like like we just sort of get this this confluence of factors that sort of leads into him his plane sort of flying off into the sky and you know shrinking to a point and that is the end of the movie but there is also the the, the sequence of of you know the colonel sort of jumping back out to that casino and being like and being like I didn't kill Elvis. You killed Elvis. <laughs> Did you feel personally responsible at the end of that movie? Yeah, I guess I was. <laughs> I guess I did kill Elvis in a way. Yeah, because I felt like that was really for you more than for me, and it was you who killed Elvis. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. Um... I don't know, I just know it wasn't me. And I was right. in the theater with one other person. <laughs> and then like 20 other people who were all in their 70s. Who could right. have really and killed Elvis? Because they were alive. Really, yeah, it's, it's true. This movie, uh, <laughs> there's a lot to be said about it. It's the most the most visually anarchic film in recent memory uh uh racially inept is another (laughs) adjective i'd use 
Um, but I, I have, there's this tension that I think is present in a lot of Baz Luhrmann movies where there is a definite sense of satire, but it's a question of what is part of that satire and what is just kind of dumb, <laughs> you know? You may never know. And I, and I do sort of feel like, you know, but he talks a lot about how the idea of this movie, it's not really about Elvis. It's about like America in the 50s and 60s and 70s and also kind of today. He talks about it like his initial idea was to use that kind of canvas for America and then like the sort of post-Trump reality. He was like drawing lines between Trump and the colonel and being like, there's ah, he's there's a snowman. To... He, he's a he's a snowman. Yeah, he's in snow business. <laughs> believe it yeah <laughs> i i do feel like there is a conscious idea of the biopic itself and this sort of like like american myth making in a way in this movie i think it is not i i don't fully take it at face value in terms of how it tries to represent elvis uh, I think Baz Luhrmann himself is not inept. Right. Um, so I, I'm curious about when he's uh, a step or two ahead uh, and that's not being fully communicated. It's, it's, it's challenging. There are, of course, these important things to consider. First of all, that he had a four-hour version of the movie that he had to sort of trim down into a, a palatable thing. I think the last chunk of this movie, even though it glosses over the entire, like, Fat Elvis period, I think it could have been, uh, that's the part that feels like it drags to me. Yes. Yeah, it's, and I think part of that feels intentional, because it is a horrifying, slow atrophying of a person, um, but I'd, I'd still cut it. Yeah, it's conveyed really well too, and like this sort of this burst of color right at the beginning, and this really frenetic stuff, and then the like, the like the way that it you know shrinks to a point and then vanishes at the end. I, I think that's very um, intentionally done and well done. Although the choice to go right into uh, in the ghetto as this as the song that plays over the first part of the credits, I was like, I'm not so sure about that's that. Part of the incredible racial ineptitude. <laughs> yeah like, and, okay. then after, and then after that when i guess to like the scroll credits they play the eminem song from the soundtrack which eminem has talked about his parallels to elvis before and i think there's definitely he is also intent- white he is also white <laughs> and i think that there's there's intention in doing that then again like the the idea of like let's have an, an eminem song play over the credits it's also an eminem song where i'm gonna pull up the lyrics real quick because there's a you know, when Eminem uh, does these soundtrack songs, he, he 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 understands the assignment in a bit of a literal way. Um, and so there's a line in this song, the, the, begin, the first line of the third verse is, Now I'm about to explain to you all the parallels between Elvis and me. <laughs> That's nice to be told. <laughs> yeah. And then yeah, you so know to expect like a... the parallels between Elvis and Eminem. Yeah. <laughs> sort of a Will Smith kind of <laughs> kind of end credits rap situation there. And, and that to, to me the idea of doing that tells me that <laughs> Buzz Lerman has this this very like 
extravagant and campy but thought out way of like self-consciously commenting on 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 uh elvis's you know theft of of black art but it does often come across like it's making it's like making the counterpoint to the to the like chuck d elvis was a racist uh uh mm-hmm. argument which is uh, <laughs> which <laughs> it doesn't feel great but other than that it's also uh somehow on top of everything else it's like the best looking movie of, of the past 10 years like somehow it looks incredible oh it's gorgeous I, I i was really really keen on the costuming choices uh and of course there's so much material to play with and then also some things that felt like a little heightened um in that realm uh I loved young Elvis's little like lace short sleeve button down shirts. Um, that does make me think that Harry Styles could do it. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I see that too, for, for sure. You mentioned how there aren't really a, like a lot of moments in this movie where it's like, oh, that's that outfit, you know? Yeah, I feel like there are so many iconic Elvis looks and there are looks in this movie that are like, approximating them um but are not quite there we get like a very iconic look in hank snow with like the nudie suit um but then we don't get elvis's iconic nudie suit which is the gold lemay suit i think about every day of my life uh yeah there's that red shirt white pants thing i feel like the the black leather look is pretty close to yeah we 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 get the leather look from the comeback special uh i as i recall we don't see the actual like the the like hound dog you know leather outfit um from back in the day but but we do see the 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 outfits in the comeback special are approximations so that's a moment where it's like him actually on tv and you know the the, like 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 this thing we've all seen um the costume designer was Catherine martin who is uh buzz lerman's uh wife and the costume designer on all of his movies uh and the costumes in all the buzz lerman movies are great but there it does feel like something kind of clicks here like there are elements of the Elvis story that completely don't make sense for Baz Luhrmann, and sometimes that feels like it adds to it, and sometimes it takes away from it. Like, like there, there are things where it's like a, a great mismatch, but the like costuming and extravagance of it is one area where it feels like this is exactly w- what you want for Baz Luhrmann. Like, it, it clicks into place. Yeah, um, I'm thinking about being a teen when great gatsby came out and like what an intense impact on popular culture that had um and the like what was cool masculinity for my peers um really really hope that happens for the the young zoomers and elders <laughs> seems <laughs> so far it seems like the opposite but there's imagine just a bunch of like 14 year old boys who are like oh <laughs> it has everything to do with us 
uh, kid asking the the teacher, "Are you grading our papers?" Teacher says, "This has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with us." <laughs> A tragedy, but it has nothing to do with us. The <laughs> that was really good. Thank you. I mean, in terms of Baz Luhrmann elements, the you know he does he repeats the Great Gatsby trick of doing the anachronistic you know reimaginings of songs and new songs that 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 you know are fit to the time period but modernized. We get the Doja Cat song in the scene where he is strolling down Beale Street. Um, the Doja Cat song, which is called Vegas, even though it's Hound Dog and it's, uh, the Beale Street part of the movie. V- Viva Las Vegas is one song that, uh, as I recall, is not in the movie that, um, I feel like would have made sense. It really would have. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Sad. Hey folks, just jumping in one more time to do another quick fact check. Viva Las Vegas is in the movie, and in fact it is the song that they mash up with Toxic. I think I forgot because the only thing that was on my mind during that sequence was the fact that it was mashed up with Toxic. So, yeah. Yeah, sad but true. Um, There's the Doja Cat song, there's the Denzel Curry song, there's the aforementioned um, mashup. (laughs) <laughs> of of I don't remember which Elvis song with Toxic, but uh that um I, I think I think it works because this is so much a Bas Lerman movie and the you know, just the sort of kinetic energy of it. That's one thing that I think is definitely and an, like like something you can analyze about Bas Lerman's style is that he like heightens things from history to to make them feel today how they would have felt then like you know in that scene at the louisiana hayride like the you know the wiggling is something that, that you know he, he's he's my wiggling boy the, 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 the wiggling is something that he was you know that that was so controversial at the time that kids today kind of can't imagine so the idea of completely we are immune to his up, wiggling that is what a wiggle the wiggles really killed it it's that was the last absolutely the <laughs> just the super overblown dramatic like dubstep and <laughs> and you know the 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 overemphasis on the on the wiggles i think does a good job of communicating how sort of seismic they were in their time in my research for the last episode one of the things that i that i found was this ed sullivan thing where he was like gonna have elvis on the show and he was like obsessively watching the other performances on like steve allen and milton burrow and and he was like you can see his cock when he when he wiggles that's what he said Thanks, Ed. He's got some kind of device <laughs> that makes sure he can see his cock. I think it's a Coke bottle, he says. In what context was he talking about this? Uh, he was talking about it to a producer. Uh, basically, he was like he was wanting to have Elvis on the show, and mm-hmm. someone came to him and was like, you should watch his other performances before you do that. <laughs> awesome. Probably the most fun I've had at the movies this year. Uh, a real whirlwind a uh movie that 
is fundamentally uh, and inarguably flawed in some very key ways, uh, but that I definitely have an have an impulse to defend as like the the speed racer of the Boslerman <laughs> canon, <laughs> just a complete uh, uh, burst of style that is like uh, very funny, very campy, very enjoyable throughout, even though it is a bit long. Yeah, I had a lot of fun uh, in the theater, and uh, it has so many absolutely fantastic sound bites that mm-hmm. I can't wait to reference with friends. Yeah, the stuff they work, they like work in the Elvis has left the building line. They work in Elvis saying thank you very much. Like they pile everything into it. <laughs> and that's why it's so fucking long. Yeah. <laughs> It, I mean, like you said, it feels very intentional to, like, sort of drag, you know, slow to a crawl as it reaches the end. Um, it doesn't, it's a thing that, like, when you're in the theater watching it, you're like, boy, <laughs> this, this could be shortened a bit. Uh, but, like, from an outside perspective, you can look at that and be like, that makes a lot of sense. But yeah, I think overall, uh, I'm I, I, critical support for, <laughs> for for Elvis the movie. <laughs> Would you say that uh, you have? You, you, do you support Elvis the movie or Elvis the man more? Definitely Elvis the movie. <laughs> super cool, super fair. Yeah, I in our episode about Elvis the guy. Uh, you know we sort of went through all the all the different defenses and all the you know i i definitely think as a person as a young person more so than than in in his later years he was probably a chill guy and he made some great music for sure uh but you you really can't even to the extent that he wasn't on an individual person-to-person basis racist you cannot extricate his racist legacy from 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 the person and the movie is uh (laughs) it has a lot to critique but is uh just supremely enjoyable so yeah (laughs) that's our little episode probably once i've cut out the pauses a pretty short one uh but uh but a a little episode on elvis the movie yeah it was fun to talk about and fun to see yeah any any final thoughts before we wrap up no i think i liked it more than i expected to based on the trailer and the one scene that was going around twitter from the louisiana hayride uh it's a movie that's fun to be on board with yeah when you get along for the ride it's a it's a real good time so those of you who have joined us for this little episode, thank you so much. This little two-parter on Elvis. If you like the show, you can uh, subscribe on Substack or subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to this on. Um, share it with your friends. That's one of the best things you can do. And yeah, I will see you all next week. I disagree, I disagree, I disagree, I disagree.